Hey you. Whoa, didn't expect to see you here. Thanks so much for being curious enough to check us out. You're about to gift your ears the soothing, sensational and seductive sounds of the Story Network podcast. But before I jump into the emotive and inspirational introduction, I actually just want to take a moment and thank you for tuning in and then welcome you to the Story Network community. So thank you and welcome. Now, let's roll that intro. Hit it. This is the emotive and inspirational introduction to the Story Network podcast. My name is Zed Hopkins and it is my job to inspire connection, collaboration and creation through open and honest conversation. So let's put our lives aside for a moment, connect heart to heart, mind to mind, share with each other, learn from each other and inspire each other to be more, to feel more and experience more. 7.54 billion stories on one earth. We are the Story Network, and this is the Story Network Podcast. Woo! The Story Network. Let's do it! Hello and welcome back to the Story Network Podcast. My name is Ed Hopkins, and today I am being whisked off my feet back to a place that has my heart, Los Angeles in the United States of America, where I am chatting to my dear friend and creative colleague, Maya Barbin. Maya and I uh, went to college together. I went to Pomona College, and she is currently attending Pitta College just around the corner. We've worked on a variety of creative projects together. She was actually uh, one of the actors in what was set to be my thesis show Um, but it's awesome to have this conversation with her we delve deep into passion into self-love and processing hard emotions and hard times and also what it means to be an artist um, now and in the future so I hope you get some value from this podcast it's great to have you here with us and without further ado let's jump straight in Welcome back to the Story Network podcast. My name is Zed Hopkins, and today I have one of my dear friends, Maya Barbin, on the podcast with me. Maya, hello. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. It's so great to have you. Um, I, I've wanted to have you on the podcast for some time because we have had so many deep and meaningful conversations throughout our friendship. We both met at Pomona College, you went to Pizza, um, which is part of the college consortium. And we met through the theater department and through sort of similar friend groups. But for people listening who might not know the two of us or know our relationship or know you for that matter, do you think you could give a spark notes version of who you are and, and what you've done up until this point in your life? Absolutely. So I, I'm originally from Portland, Oregon, um, and came down to California for college. Um, I'm an actor, first and foremost. I've been doing theater since I was so little and before I can even remember. Um, and it was pretty, pretty clear really early that that was all I was ever going to want to do. So I'm a theater political science double major. I'm really interested in the way that theater and uh, just general social issues interact and the way that we can have an impact on people through the theater, through art. Um, And other than that, I really enjoy being with my friends. It's been very hard being in quarantine, being so far away from everybody. Um, I was planning on moving to New York after graduation. We'll see if that still happens given the current 
everything. Um, but regardless, I'm excited to start just working as an actor, specifically probably a Shakespeare actor, but also it's early enough that it really could go in any direction. Um, and I am a dear, dear fan of Seth Hopkins. That's why I'm here is because I adore him and would do anything for him, include talk about me. <laughs> uh, well, that's, that's very kind. Um, I, I, I think, you know, I don't want you to undersell yourself either because I think what, one of the things that really inspires me, um, you know, from you and the way you live your life is I think you live life with such passion and, and such a warm, welcoming energy. And I, I want to delve a little bit deeper into that right now in terms of when did you, you mentioned that you came across acting at a very young age, when was it? the moment that you realized, oh, this is my passion. This is something I really want to pursue and, and be a part of my life long term. And how do you think that relates with your purpose? Do you feel like your purpose is in acting? Yeah. So my mom was a stage manager and my dad was a cameraman. So the idea that like I was always surrounded by theater, by arts, and it felt like something that was accessible as a career. It was like, we would watch TV and be like, oh, I worked with him. I worked with her. And I could see that like, these were people, these were just people. And so it never felt too far away. And I remember when I was little, little going to see a production of Peter Pan on tour. And it was just, it was magic. It was like, it was real life magic. Um, and that show stayed with me. And in my head made the transition from, oh my gosh, this was real life magic to this was fake. And there were cables and pixie dust is just cut up pieces of glitter, but that was still magic for me. And oh my God, what if I can make magic? What if I can bring that to people? What if I can find a way to do that? And at the same time, my parents were sort of letting me try everything. And I sat in the outfield and picked at the grass and t-ball. And then I went to acting class and had the time of my life. And whether they liked it or not, that was sort of where the bug hit. So it was always just something that I loved doing. And it was somewhere where I think in really difficult parts of my life, I was able to like to be myself and I was able to learn about myself and do a lot of growing that I don't think I would have done otherwise. Cause I think I would have been too scared to. Um, and so it gave me a place to become very, very comfortable with me. And <laughs> we're, we're selling my childhood house. So I just went through all of these old pieces of art and class projects and things. And, Ever since, I want to say the third grade, when it's like, what do you want to be when you grow up? It was just like, I want to be an actor. I want to be on Broadway. One time I thought it was cooler to say director than actor. So I said director, but like, really, I just wanted to be an actor. Um, and then as I was finishing up high school, it went from being like, I want to be an actor, but that's not a reasonable career to pursue to, no, I really do. And I, I will, I will just be an actor. And I could see people that I knew and I had mentors and I was working professionally at home. And so I was like, oh, I can just do this for a job and it's really scary and I have no idea how to actually follow enough steps to make it happen, but it's something that I want to do. And from there, the purpose came from like, okay, so what do I want to do with acting? What do I want to do with theater? Um, and I think what I found most recently was talking about theater for social change and arts education and specifically the way that we can impact young people because I was impacted so young and, and was able to have my entire life changed and probably saved because of theater and the idea that like if you are able to give students that opportunity really young, you might have the opportunity to save their life. And that was really, really important to me. So 
that's what I want to do now. The idea of just like, I just want to be an actor now feels a little bit selfish. And I feel like I want to be like, I want to be an actor who will do X, Y, and Z. And so the purpose there is like, I want to reach people of different backgrounds. I want to start conversations. I want to make people feel things because if it's only about me, then I don't think I'm doing a good thing. If it's just, I want to be an actor because I love acting and I want attention, then that's not the right reasons to be doing it. Um, and I've been given enough gifts to like be where I am now to reach people that I think it's, it's a disservice not to. And that was a very long winded answer, but that's, that's where I'm at right now. And it'll be interesting to see after graduation, how that changes because it's a whole lot easier to just go and be an actor for me than to go through all of the work that it takes to actually reach and impact people, especially um, virtually. So I'm excited to see what happens, but so scared of the future. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that was a great answer. And there was so much and there was so many directions I can see us taking this conversation from that. One thing that I do want to delve into a little bit deeper is that shift for you in recognizing purpose as being something just beyond yourself. Because I think there, that's a really, really good point is that in a lot of educational circles, in the way that we are educated, whether that be in high school, into college, it's very much like, where do you want to take your career? What do you want to do? What job do you want? What title, label, category do you want to fit into? And we actually don't then think about, oh, what kind of impact do I want to have on the world? What kind of people do I want to be around? And what kind of influence do I want to have? And I think now, especially in, in this world where things are becoming more digital, that is a question we need to be asking. And that is a question that we also, that I think we have a responsibility of asking is not just what is the career that, that I want to do and what is what am I passionate about? And that's sort of one thing. But the next thing is like, exactly that. What is my purpose and what, what do I want to give back to the people around me, to the communities, to the world as a whole? Because I think at least for me, my biggest thing is I want to leave this, this planet better than, you know, better than it was when I got here. And I want to have an impact on people and I want to bring people together. And, and I think for the two of us, art and theater and, and performing is sort of one of the tools that we have that kind of align purpose and passion. But how do you think, I think first and foremost, how do you think we, one should go about if they're not sure what their passion is? Say that sort of they're in a position, I think we're both very lucky that we found our passion really early. How do you think one, one goes about discovering their passion and, and finding that as a passion? And then how do you think you know, one could go about combining that with purpose? Yeah, I mean... I think this is why I wanted to go to a liberal arts school. This is what drove me to do an interdisciplinary sort of education was because I, I wanted to try as many things as possible. And I think that's where it is, is you don't know what you don't know. Um, and you're not going to discover that something's your passion until you've tried it. So if you have the opportunity in education, in the activities that you choose to do, to try as many things as possible, I think that that's the place. If you really have absolutely no idea what you want to do or what you're passionate about, I think that's the first thing to start is think, well, what seems like it could be interesting and then try it and decide yes or no. Do I want to continue down this path? Um, I think if you have 
a little bit more of an idea, that's when you start talking to people. That's when you start asking questions that when you start trying to have experiences that will, will put, put you in a certain direction. Um, but I think if you're just starting out, then just it's think about what could maybe possibly be the littlest bit interesting and try it. And maybe you'll say, I think that sociology is really interesting. You take a sociology class and you say that was the worst class I've ever taken. Absolutely not. Or you do what I did and you take a political science class and you say, oh, I love this and this is super interesting. And, and I'm already starting to draw connections because I talk about it so much with other aspects of my life. So let's find all other ways that they connect and start to sort of build the way that you see the world around the things that excite you and, and let those feed each other. Yeah, well, I think that's that's such a great point. And I know that this is something that's talked about a lot, but I think it comes down to this idea of track your enthusiasm. Look back on your life, wherever you're at right now. And, and, and this is something I've been doing the past few months, trying to figure out what I do now that everything I kind of had lined up in my life kind of fell through and all the structure I had in my dreams sort of completely shifted in completely new um, situation because of COVID-19. Um, but, but it's looking back and going, okay, what do I really, really enjoy? What are the things in my life that excite me and that I wake up in the morning and I cannot wait to go do? And, or, or even, even more specifically, when I go online, like, what do I look up? Who am I following online that I really enjoy, you know, looking at the content they produce? Or what do I watch on YouTube? What do I watch on Netflix? What, what is it that excites you? And then where possible, try those things out, whether that is at college taking classes, whether that is, you know, going, learning online, like through YouTube, learning how to video edit, learning how to podcast or, or, or anything like that, but just exploring and being curious about the things that excite you and that you're enthusiastic about. And, and I think, I think what's so cool about that, and especially, you know, you mentioning sort of political science and where that sort of come in, in, in your life as well, is this idea that you can be interested in, in multiple different things. And, and you can, if you keep track of that, if you keep track of all of those things that excite you and that you're enthusiastic about, you can, there's nothing saying that you can't create your own job. You can't create your own own new title that you fit into. I think we're beyond the stage of necessarily you just needing to go to college and, and get a degree so that you can be a qualified A, B, or C, that you can actually build a breadth of knowledge and understanding of the world around you and, and an understanding of skill sets that you have and bring those things together and actually add value doing that. Yeah, I think the more that you know, the more you bring to any table. So it doesn't matter if I never use politics ever again, the things that I've learned and the discussions that I've had and the way that it's made me draw different connections in my brain will be so beneficial. In the same way that if I never act again, all of my theater training is going to still be super, super valuable to me. And it's just a matter of giving yourself that well-rounded life that that doesn't need to be hard. You can do it in the little ways. You can do it with YouTube videos or reading books or or uh, talking to people about things. It doesn't need to be this big, scary, there's a gate and a guard that I have to get past in order to even start looking at this thing. It just means you have to start doing it and start expanding your mind as much as possible. Yeah. And it, it's interesting to take this one step further. We had a conversation last week and we were talking about what holds us back from doing what we want to do. And I think the biggest thing that comes up 
and I can only speak for myself is fear. And, and one of the biggest fears there is like fear of judgment, fear of like putting myself out there, fear of creating artistic work or sharing ideas that might not resonate with everyone or might be judged. People thinking, Oh, like, that's not good enough or not living up to sort of the reputation that maybe I've built for myself. But I think in this pursuit of getting better, we have to shift the, the cultural perspective of short-term success, that we actually need to look at the idea that we're all playing long-term games and that we, we should embrace failing, messing up, but documenting that process and, and putting things out there anyway. You know, this, this podcast is not perfect. It's something I'm trying to figure out. I'm trying to figure out how to maneuver conversations, how to add value, how to create the YouTube videos and be creating content consistently so that it adds value and it's about having conversations about things that I'm passionate about. But, you know, I also for a long time, I bought the microphones two years ago to start this podcast. It's taken me two years of being like, ah, like I literally, I literally had four podcasts that I recorded that I deleted off my computer because I just was too scared to put them out there. But, but the thing is, is like now it's like, I think what we have to do is just do it. Like you know, as, as, as cliche and, and, and like overly simplistic as it is, I think we need to embrace a culture where it's like, let's put stuff out there and let's trust that if people are meant to be in our lives, that they will support us through that process. And that if, you know, if it doesn't work after sort of a year, you know, or two years, you've given it a crack, you can go, oh, maybe this isn't for me. Maybe this isn't actually what excites me. But I've built a skill set now that I can use, that I can apply to other things. And also the next step is that I can share with other people, that you can create spaces, you can share your skill sets and you can grow yourself, but also grow alongside and with the people around you. Absolutely. And I think I know for me for so long as an artist, I had my self-worth tied to my success. And because like as an actor, you hear when people like you because you get applause and to be able to be like, I did this wrong. So I, people don't like me or I didn't get this reaction. So people don't like me. And to have that be driving so much of my life versus recently when I've finally been able to start separate and still have so far to go, but to start being able to separate it and be like, if someone does not like my art, that doesn't mean that they don't like me or even that I'm not a successful person. It just means that something that I did didn't work. And that's an opportunity to keep going. That doesn't mean that I am a failure and I have to give up. And I have to trust within myself that like, I wouldn't be where I am if I wasn't at least a little bit smart, a little bit talented, a little bit ready to do this. And I wouldn't have the friends in my life that I have if they didn't believe in me also. And so trusting them to tell me when something's good and to tell me when something's bad and to let that not have an impact on me as a person and my self-worth, but to be about my art and about my creativity and the things that I can then do with that. Yeah, that, that is such a good point. And that, that notion of tying your self-worth to your work, I think is something that I also resonate with that I've struggled with a lot, especially, especially, you know, I spent two years working on this thesis show that you happen to be a part of. And, and to me, that was, that was the, the sort of crux of my college career. It was going to be my first production that was fully staged. And then we had funding to take it to LA. It was something I was so excited about. I was saying I was waking up at three in the morning to write it and pull it all together. Um, 
and 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 then and then it got wiped away and it's i sort of like came home and i was like you know i'm fine like okay i've just got to move and i've got to accept reality but then like three weeks later i just kept having these breakdowns of like of like complete just like questioning my own self-worth of like i'm not good enough like the work that i create what i have to show for the work that i've done um but i think that idea of, of i had to come to this realization that oh the work that I put out and the work that sort of comes to fruition is, is work. It is a creative process, a creative practice. It is not a reflection of who I am and how valid I am or how, you know, how worthy I am of, of success, of friendship, of love, of all of these things. And so, and I think that is where, you know, pursuing a career in the arts and in the creative industries can be challenging for your, for your mental health is because intrinsically there's this idea that you are putting an element of yourself out there. And when people critique that or challenge that or don't resonate with that, it's like they're critiquing, challenging, not resonating with you as a human being, which is really, really difficult. And, and, and so I think like as, as we maneuver that, it, it, it comes back to building a sense of compassion. And and that's compassion for yourself first and foremost of being like, it's okay. No matter what, I know I am enough. Like if the work comes out and it is trash and I know, you know, I'm sure both of us have created work that when we look back on, we go, that was terrible, <laughs> you know, but, but also there's probably work that we can look back on. We can be proud of. And I think it's also normalizing that it's okay to be proud of something you've done and it's okay to be critical of something you've done, but that they kind of like are just part of the experience of getting better. And neither of us have any idea what we're doing. Neither does anyone else. Like we're all on the same boat there. We're not, we're not here to compete with each other. We have compassion for each other's practice and, and the work that each other does. And we give each other feedback when asked, hopefully in a constructive way with <laughs> compassion for each other, but also just knowing that it, it's, it's an experience. Like everything is an experiment and an experience that we're having. And with the end goal of, it doesn't matter whether the product's good or bad, but it's like, have you learned from that process? And I think that's the success. The success is learning. It doesn't matter if the end product is, is a success or a failure, whatever that means to you. But it's like, have you learned and have you, in a lot of ways, you know, have you become a better person through this? Absolutely. I mean, well, I think you can't be, a good artist without being a good person. I just think that that's you, the amount of empathy and compassion that's necessary to, to make meaningful, impactful art. I think you have to, to care. And I think you have to love, but more than that, I think that just like, it is, it's exactly what you were saying. And, and all of that needs to come first and then it's the work and then it's success and then it's whatever else is happening, but it's what is your intention and what are you doing with it? And how, how are you seeing yourself grow? Especially because we're so young. Like we are, we really are just getting started and it's really easy to feel like I'm behind. I didn't do this and that and the other. I've only done this, so I'm behind and therefore I'll never ever make it. But to give ourselves a little bit of grace and be like, we are where we are and we can't change anything about that. And every day is a new opportunity to learn and to grow and to get better. And maybe in 50 years, we shouldn't be having the same struggles that we're having right now, or we should do some reconsidering about what's going on, but allowing ourselves to, to be starting out and for that to be okay. And there not to be anything wrong with not knowing things yet. That, that point about we are young as fuck. Like that is the truth of it is, is that we have so much time left in our lives. Like 
but I think it becomes very easy, just especially in, in the current climate. I think it has to do with like social media. It becomes with the idea of, of, of people showcasing wealth and, and all of these things and success and, you know, it's, stars who just sort of like come onto the Hollywood scene and, and just like make it and you're like, well, how did that happen? You know, but the truth is, is that we can't compare ourselves to people who are in their forties and fifties who are at the peak of their success and the peak of their career. Like that, it's just not realistic, but sometimes it's so easy to be like, ah, oh, I'm never going to be a good of actor as, as Kate Blanchett or, or, you know, whoever it is. Like, I'm never going to be that like right now, just cause it's not, it's, it's not, possible right now for where I'm at. And my journey is completely different than, than some, you know, some big actor or some big entrepreneur who's, who's made millions of dollars by the age of, of 25. And, and, and that might not be my path, but I think, I think that's exactly it is we have time. And, and the beautiful thing is, is that we have time to invest in ourselves, invest in, in the people around us and invest in our own curiosity that that we can explore things now. We, we have that time. And if, if stuff doesn't work, we can come back around and, and, and try something else out. It's not the end of the world. There's so many people who, who have started again at 30, at 40, at, at 50, you know, and, and I think it's, 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 it's really important to remember that. Um, and in that also remembering that, that you're right is to be a good person on that path. And, and, and that means, investing the time to make yourself a good person, whatever that means to you is to, is to get educated and, 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 and build an understanding of the world around you and, and also build an understanding of like, how, how can I give back along the way? You know, how can I create spaces for other people? How can I use like the position and the skills and, and the expertise and, and, and the privilege that I've gained where, wherever that's come about and then use that as a way that as I'm growing, I'm ensuring that I'm like contributing to a bigger community to come together and, and to transcend this, this competitive culture, this comparison culture that I think is starting to sort of brew, especially within the arts and the creative industries. It's like, oh, you getting a job is taken away from me getting a job. Well, actually, no, we can learn from each other. We can share our skill sets. Like, let's have a conversation about this stuff. Right. And just the idea that like we can bring each other up and one, one success does not mean I now have all the success and you will never have any. They're just going to be different. And it's so hard, especially when we've been in these really, really insular situations where it is a competition because there are so many roles and there are so many people in a theater department or a school or whatever. And so knowing I truly am competing against you and you and you for these specific things. But once we get out into the world, it's like the possibilities are endless and we are not taking anything away from anybody by what we get. Even now we're not taking anything away from what we, depending on what we get. Um, but especially once we're out there, it's just going to be a matter of um, what are you doing? Oh, that's so cool. This is what I'm doing. How can I lift you up? How can you lift me up? How are all the new things that we're learning helping each other grow? And that's the idea where it's, I think like your network is, the people that you love and the people that you feel you can collaborate with and trust and you want to learn from and grow with. Like that's the heart of, I think what adult professional relationships will look like for me at least. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's, that's so, so, so true. And I think the other thing too is I think we don't necessarily account for how valuable the people in our life are in teaching us lessons in actually being, you know, 
mentors in a, in a lot of ways. Like if I think back to my, my four years at college in the U S like that experience overall taught me so much. But I, if I think back to where I learned the most, it was from the people that I met, the people I had conversations with. And that's half the reason why I started the story network is because I was like, we need to have more conversations. We need to go deeper together and share each other's stories because it is through our stories that we learn. It is through the sharing of stories and the passing down of stories across generations, across cultures, that we actually start to synthesize world knowledge. We start to um, create a community of people who want to share ideas and, and imagine um, better futures and who can, you know, fail and then share those failures with other people so they might not make the same thing. And, and, and I think, you know, once again, it, it's that compassion to be a part of that process. And, and, and so taking that maybe one step further then, what, who do you think are the people in your life who you have learned the most from and why? Um, definitely my parents, I think, just in terms of, of the sort of person in the world that I want to be because I reached a point where they went from being my parents to just being people and like my friends. Um, and I was able to, to see the way that they struggled and understand the way, all the things they taught me about love, about hard work, about um, adventure and exploring and all the ways that I could see that impacting their lives through good and through bad. So I think that was the most tangible way to see all of the small lessons I had been taught in a person and say, Oh, this is the way that it's applicable. And then find my own ways that it was applicable. Um, and then beyond my parents, I think, I think I'm such a sponge and I, I take so much from the people that I'm around. So I think anyone that I feel has invested in me, I will probably have then invested in them and will have, taken something away, learned something, or been inspired about something. So you, for example, you inspire me so much because you are an incredibly hard worker and you are driven and you showed me, oh my gosh, even as a 20 something, I can work to make my dreams of reality. I just have to work at it. And I have other friends who, who help keep me playful, who help show the ways that we should ask more questions or explore the world differently. Um, I learned so much just from my time living in London this past fall because I met all of these new people in a totally new place um, and was able to draw from those experiences on what it is to be independent and what is it to, to be away from home. Um, so I think I've reached a point where I've started to let myself be whoever I am rather than putting on a person. I think that's something I did for a long time was I, I tried to be what I thought people needed me to be. Um, and I've reached a point where this is probably the most genuine version of myself I've ever been. Um, and so much of that person is reflections of the people who I trust and love. That's wow. That's uh, really, really beautiful in, in that realization for you when when do you feel like you became aware that maybe you were projecting a a persona rather than actually being your authentic self and how did you was there sort of a, a moment or a few moments where you started to recognize oh wait this isn't me 
And then how did you reckon with that to now get to this point with where you are? Yeah, I mean, um, I think I've written enough essays about it that I do have specific moments just because I've written about them. Um, because I, for a long time, I was really lonely in specifically the, all the like the really uh, transformative moments of middle school and even into high school. I was really lonely and I didn't have a strong support system that I saw every day and I had this insatiable need to be liked. And so I started just building myself to be what I thought other people wanted to be around. And there was a moment when I was 16 years old and I was sitting in the car with my friend Francisco and he said something and I laughed and he went, that was a fake laugh. And I said, no, it wasn't. And he goes, yeah, no, it was. Why did you do that? And it was the first time I stopped to think about it because it was, and I was only doing it because I have this habit now of laughing a certain way and moving my shoulders slightly to make it look like I'm enjoying it more because then people will think I'm more invested and people will think that I like them better and then they will like me. And I had built so many tiny little habits around it and no one had ever called me on it, mostly because no one had ever really been close enough to see it. Um, and to have someone who I was close to say, like, I see through what you're doing and stop, um, was really impactful. And like I said, I was 16 and I think it took, it's taken up until this point to finally stop that and to finally, to, to not just put on a face for the sake of making other people feel better or making other people feel more comfortable. And that's been really difficult because I know that I have missed out on, well, I was going to say missed out on certain things because people haven't wanted me for the way that I was, but then they wouldn't have wanted me. And it wasn't missing out because that wasn't, that wouldn't have been a right relationship or situation or experience because it wouldn't have been real if I was only there because I was faking how I was feeling. Um, And I have seen the way that my relationships have felt more and more genuine and more and more connected. And I've been able to be more just generally vulnerable and then more comfortable with who I am because the people that I know now really in college um, like me for the most genuine version of myself. And that's what's so weird about when I go back home is I feel myself reverting back into old habits and into a person that I was, even though the only people that I talk to from high school are the only people I don't need to fake it with because anyone who I was doing these fake emotions for is no longer around and I haven't spoken to in four years and didn't matter at the time and certainly don't matter now. And I wish I'd done things differently to just be more comfortable with myself and to feel a lot more self-love a lot earlier. But regardless where I'm at now, I, I feel happy to be on that path to, to something better. And, and the idea that like, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong. And I don't need to be happy and laughing and engaged all the time. And I can still have really meaningful relationships. Yeah, that, that's really beautiful. And, and I want to acknowledge to just that for, for people who might not know you, like you are such a testament to that. Like you are one of the most genuine people that I know you are, you know, and, and it's something we've spoken about a lot is that, that sometimes, you know, you catch yourself and, you know, but having that self-awareness to then be like, Oh, I am projecting a character right now. Like I'm not, 
I'm not actually me. Like I'm playing a character and I'm going to try and stop like, but that, that there's something so powerful in that. And the vulnerability is sort of open up about that because at least from my perspective, I feel like it's something that for me has been very much in the past six months to to six to 12 months where I've had to reckon with that and be like, Oh, I am trying to play versions of myself around different people. And I'm trying to project maybe who I want to be seen as rather than who I actually am. And, and I think it's something we don't talk enough about. And because we don't talk enough about it, we kind of become like passive participants in, in the sort of like extending of, of everyone else's playful personas because we, we don't call each other out. We don't sort of like call ourselves out when we play that. And we, we sort of normalize the fact that we don't talk about, Hey, like who are you really? Like we don't necessarily always delve beneath that surface level. And I think there's something really like powerful and, and empowering about being like, Hey, like this is who I am. And, and maybe the next step also was like, this is how I'm feeling right now. Like these are the emotions I have and I might not have all the words to fully explain it, but this is how I feel. Um, especially in relationships, um, whether they be romantic or friendships, like they require work. Like, you know, like you can't just play with a kid on the playground. Like you did when you're a kid and you sort of never see them. I know you only see them play games. Like now it's like relationships. So like, they take work and they take time and they take vulnerability and they take opening up and kind of like the shedding of, of these masks and these, these walls that we sort of put up to protect ourselves. And, and I think there is something so beautiful and so empowering in, in creating a space where people feel comfortable to be like, this is who I am. And, and then to feel supported in that because like, it doesn't matter who you are. Like that is that authentic version of yourself is the most powerful and impactful version of yourself. And, you know, obviously I'm 22. I have my own perspectives on, on life. And like, this is just my perspective, but I think like that is one of like the purposes of everyone's life is to get to a point where they can like uncover and, and, and discover who they really are and, and embrace that. And, and love that, like the good and the bad. They're like, you're, I think you bring up such a good point there too. Like I'm not always going to be happy and bright and bubbly and laughing all of the time, but those times are great. But also those times wouldn't feel so great if we then didn't have the, the lows, like feeling those other emotions, sadness, anxiety, stress, like those things. It doesn't mean that we don't find ways that we manage those and we work through those. Like that's important, but we have to feel them. Like we, if we have, this is, I'm, I'm going to sort of shift a little bit onto myself, but like this thing I've been realizing lately is like, if I don't feel sadness, I just bottle it up and store it there and then, and just pretend like it's all good. Oh, I'm great. You know, I'm, and I've done this so many times and it wasn't until about three months ago when I was at home and I was like, I am not happy right now. Like I am not happy with myself. I don't love myself and I don't know how to go about that. And but then to like take a moment and be like, okay, I need to like check in. Like what is going on? Oh, I see what's happened. And like this, this was sort of, you know, a process of a few days for me of, of sitting down. I did a bunch of reading of, of, of like books about this kind of thing and like coming to this realization that the voice inside my head is like not me. Like I am, I am separate from that voice. Like I'm, I'm separate from the feelings that I experience. Like when I feel sadness, I can go, Instead of being like, well, that's sadness. I don't want to deal with that right now. Instead, I can go, oh, I'm feeling sadness and I see it and I feel it and I know that it's going to pass. 
but I need to feel it. Because if you don't feel it, you just store that emotion in you. You store those thoughts. But to just be like, I see them, I acknowledge them, but I'm not going to attach to them. And, and I'm going to love myself unconditionally no matter what. Because, and, and I think that is the important bit, is that knowing that no matter what experience you are going through in your life right now, like, like you, you have the like, agency, the right, the responsibility to love yourself through it. And, 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 and because in doing that, you're then going to like love people around you and going to allow other people to love you too. But you've got to start from that point of like figuring out what, however it works for you, but like to actually like love yourself. And that's a process like it's and it. It's fluctuates up and down. You're so right. But yeah, I, I'd be interested like how, what is your relationship with self-love and how has it changed over time? Yeah. I mean, I think, well, it's so rooted in this like extremely insecure kid who just like put, could not even begin to access who she was. And I think I've only recently started to, to be able to think about who am I and then to start to love myself. I've really, really never been comfortable with my body. And so only very recently being like, I don't need to change anything about how I look because that for no other reason than just like, I, I feel like I need to look prettier. Like that's not necessary and doesn't do anything for me. I am pretty just as I am. And if I want to do any changes for other reasons, those are other reasons, but just because of trying to, change this flesh prison is not enough of a reason. Um, and I think it was tied to, because I didn't have a lot of friends. I was like, well, no one's showing me that they want me. So why would anyone want me? Um, and I'm very grateful that I was able to really get to college and have a really amazing friend group who reached out when I didn't. And I was like, Oh, they want me around. And, and that really inspired a change in, in me, in, people want me. And even if they aren't showing it, they want me and to, to allow that to be true. And I am for the most part, really, really solid in that now. And I can trust that I'm not a bother and I can trust that people enjoy me and I can love that because I don't feel like I'm burdening other people. Um, it's going to be interesting because as we've talked about, I'm going through a pretty intense breakup right now. Um, and I'm at the most secure, most self-loving part of my life. And I had someone more or less say, I don't want you anymore, at least not in the way that I've been wanting you. And that's, I haven't even fully processed how that's going to impact me. And I'm hopeful that I am in a secure enough place that it will brush off easier than it would, that it will, I'll be able to say they didn't, but others will, and that's okay. Um, but I think if this had happened three years ago, I would have been myself as a self would be completely destroyed. Um, and that's kind of nice to know that I've come far enough that even though I have no idea what will happen, I can feel really good about that. Yeah. I also, I get so, I, I get frustrated with myself thinking about self-love because I have equated it to cockiness for so long and have almost had to have been like, I'm better than this person. I'm better than that person. Um, it's okay that this has happened to me because I'm still going to be more blah, 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 blah than them. And, uh, use that as a coping mechanism as like trying to raise myself up. But even that isn't a real version of self-love. It's just a toxic coping mechanism. Um, and so to now be like, 
this is how I stand independent of anybody else and needing to come to terms with that and love that person and my relationship and everything else regarding others is not what makes me lovable. It is just me. It's hard. Yeah. Yeah. I, thank you for that vulnerability. And, and you're right. Like it is hard and it is messy. Like, because we're all trying to figure this stuff, like stuff out. And once again, I, I, I feel like I say this all the time, but like, we have no idea what we're doing. Like I, I have no clue. Like I have no clue how to figure this stuff out. And like, we're just, everyone is just trying to do the best they can with what they've got in, in the situations that they're in. But I think, I think you're right. Like if, if we, if we sort of open up our awareness to, to recognize our own growth, to actually like see these situations and these circumstances as learning experiences, whether that's a learning experience for ourselves or for others, but as a way for us to get to know ourselves better, to know how we operate under different emotions and to like recognize that. And then in the future, when you, you know, um, experience these emotions again, you have new tactics, a way of, of approaching them and feeling them, but in a way that's sustainable and, 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 I guess, productive for you. Um, but you're right. Like it, it is hard. And I think sometimes it, it's really easy to, to see yourself as like, Oh, I'm the only one going through this. Like no one else <laughs> understands this. Like I, like, like I am really insecure, you know, like, and, and, and to share that, like I have like, there are, you know, I've been super insecure of my own body for a lo- for, for a long while, like, like insecure about how I, I fit in the social groups, like making false narratives about how people perceive me. Right. And, and then, but then like, as you grow and you have experiences and you reflect on things, you know, I had to come to the point, I was like, Oh, like these, I'm making up these narratives. Like, like I have no proof that this person thinks of me that way, except the proof that somehow I've made up in my head and convinced myself of that, you know, like, and, and, and that's why this stuff is hard is sometimes it's you actually reckoning with yourself and reckon, reckoning with the voice in your head and being like, Oh, wait a second. Like, this isn't, this isn't me. Like, this isn't me coming up that these are just thoughts and ideas that I'm then projecting onto the outside world, but I don't have to do that. And, and like, we'd spoken about this, but I, I read a book a few weeks ago when I was sort of had this realization of like, Oh, I am, my self-love is way off. Like I am not happy with where I'm at. And I, and I read this book, it's called the untethered soul by Michael A. Singer. And basically the summary of the book really comes down to this idea that like you are not the voice in your head and the voice in your head is kind of like a roommate that you live with constantly. But if you lived in a household where your roommate treated you like the voice in your head treats you, like you would kick them out. You would not allow them in your life because they are so toxic and they can be so toxic. And, and I think there was a big moment for me to realize, Oh, like all of the stress and anxiety in my life right now, I am making like, it's not like, yes, there is the situational stuff of having to come home, being moving back in with family, living in a camp van out the back of my mom's place, like, like all that, you know, like all that crazy stuff, not being around my friends and stuff. But I am like the stress and anxiety that I'm putting myself on, especially under like work ethic and like needing to create something and, and, and reach sort of goals that I have 10, 20, 30 years in front of me. Like I was choosing to attach to the stress and anxiety and put that on myself. And the second I realized that I was like, oh, I can let that go. 
Like I can approach myself. I can, I can like love myself enough to be like, I choose not to put that stress and anxiety on me. And, and when it comes up, I can be like, Oh, am I creating this? Oh yeah, I am. Like I'm creating this like imaginary deadline that I need to um, like shoot and produce a, a YouTube video that comes out tonight. Like obviously some structure is good. Like when you're doing things, you want to have a routine, you want to have a structure and you want to have that work ethic. But if that work ethic comes at the point where you were just critiquing everything that you do, which is what I was doing, this isn't good enough. This isn't perfect. If that's the case, you're not going to get anywhere and you're actually going to like really like disable the relationship that you have with yourself. So, so you're exactly right. It's hard. It's messy, but it's a process and it's a process that we learn. And I think we need to, at least from, what I would love to see more of is like more conversations of young people being able to come together and have a conversation like this, you know, hence why I started the story network was, was to like come together and be like, Hey, like we're all going through this, but like collectively we can choose to like not keep doing this, <laughs> not keep enforcing this idea of you need to project who you are to me and, and, and that you can come to me and you can be like, fully yourself and we can talk about that and we can if we're going to be friends friends and we're going to build a relationship whatever that relationship may be let's be honest with each other and let's talk about this relationship and let's work on it and let's learn from each other and be open with each other because in that we are expanding our awareness of ourselves and of other people we're learning about new ways to see the world and and i truly believe that that is that is what true growth is and that that is the skill set that you can't learn in a classroom shifting a little bit back towards sort of where we had started around arts and creativity and passion i know you mentioned sort of the there was a brief sort of touch on on the idea of like art therapy the use of arts to actually have an impact on 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 communities i'm wondering do you, do you what do you see as the relationship between mental health and, and community well-being and the arts and theater and, and performing. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think um, it is the most just like overwhelming experience of human connection that I think we can have with strangers um, because it is everybody in a room heartbeats all syncing up everyone is there um in a way that is just so moving and you can't get anywhere else and i think that that has a really really powerful effect i think if you can go and see these really dark and painful experiences are being shared it's exactly that of like knowing that you're not alone and that other people feel the things that you do but to to experience it all at one time I think is extremely powerful um and just consuming theater in general is a way to hear new stories to learn about the world to feel more connected to a community to to just expand your 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 worldview and be more compassionate and be more empathetic because you're seeing more people's lives because that's what theater is it's people's lives in one way or another if they're real or not they're you're you're becoming a part of a story for however long. Um, and I think that has a really, really strong emotional impact. And in terms of creating theater, that's why I talk so much about arts education is because with children, um, to give them a voice and to say, I want to hear what you have to say, show me what you feel like. Let's all, let's have that shared experience together at a really young time when you want to be validated, you want to be told that your voice matters and, and, that switch, that, that 
this is a time for you to share who you are and we want to listen, um, I think can be really, really important. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, it's so true. And I, and I think it's one of those things that frustrates me a little bit when I look at the way the education system is structured is that I think storytelling and giving people of all ages the ability to like sit in a room with each other and share stories and communicate and, and create together. Like there is something powerful in that experience in that it's both um, there, there was a humility to it of this, this idea of like, we are all human beings. We all see the world in different ways, but that's beautiful. And like, let's tell each other about these things. Let's explore it in our bodies. And that's really the beauty of theater is that you can take stories and you can, you can like create them with your body, with your voice, you become a part of them. Um, and, and you recognize in that, that you can look at the world from the perspective of someone else. And, and that, like that sort of connection, especially I know, you know, for, for young people, I know, especially for me, like when I first like got into theater and into acting and, and the, the ability to be like, oh, like I can take on another character and see the world from their point of view, which would then mean that anyone in this world, I could theoretically attempt and have the empathy to look at the world through their lens. And I think if we did more of that and if we normalize that experience, especially when we're having difficult, messy conversations to, to actually be like, okay, like I hear you, like I'm going to listen to you and I'm going to like try to understand where you are coming from. And, and, and because then we meet each other from a point of humanity. We meet each other from a point of like, I see you and I'm willing to, um, and, and I, I surrender into seeing and listening and hearing you and having empathy for you. And, and I trust that you do the same. And in this environment, we can have a really deep, meaningful conversation that is progressive and that, that is opening us up to new ways of seeing the world. Um, so I think that's really, really like powerful. And, and thank you for bringing that up because I think the arts, uh, kind of in a crux right now of, of like what is the future of art, especially somewhere, somewhere like the theatre. You know, Broadway shut for at least until next year. Theatre programs around around the country, around the world uh, are, are severely impacted. How, how do we curate those experiences moving forward? You know, but, but before we sort of move on to sort of the last few questions I have for you, where do you see theater and art going and what do you think our responsibility as young artists is moving into the next few years of, of creation and, and practice yeah i mean i think in general talking about accessibility to theater and to both viewing and uh, practicing i think it is really difficult to think about the amount of privilege that it takes to make theater and to go to the theater and to look at our audiences and how do you feel like it's not an echo chamber? Yes, you want to change people's minds and impact and have those deep conversations, but how do you get people in a room if they're not already going to want to go and be in that room? If they're not already seeking out that kind of work, how do you have those conversations? And I don't have the answer to any of these things, but I think those are that's what we need to start grappling with. And we're starting to see a very, very small but so needed reckoning, I think, in terms of accessibility and what stories are we putting on stage and representation and the fact that we're only just beginning is just hitting the tip of the iceberg when it comes to 
who do we have in the room? Who do we have behind the scenes? Who, whose stories are we telling and which ways are we telling them? And then who do we get to see that? And, and there's some really, really important work that's being done. Um, but we have so far to go. Um, because I think we've established like art is good. Theater is good. Storytelling is how we create empathy and keep people connected. Um, but what we've been doing for however many years, like it doesn't hold up enough. It's not enough at this point. So I think the next step, um, it's going to be really interesting because there are going to be so many theaters that close. There are going to be so many different ways that we have to do theater. And maybe this is when we will be able to raise up some of the little guys. Maybe this will be new people coming into the room that weren't there before because things have changed. Um, but I do think that that's our responsibility as specifically young artists is to, to be active and um, explicit in our need for change and to not allow things to stay the way that we were taught and the way that the older generations have done it because it will be so easy to just keep theater as it has been and it will just be damaging. And if theater stays as it is, I think it will die because there are so many other forms of art that you can consume. And if we are not doing our part to reach as many people as possible, I think we're going to see it almost po totally disappear. And so it's our responsibility if we want to keep it alive in the way that I know so many of us do, because it's so beautiful and powerful. It's what we love. We have to change. I think you're so right. And, and you're right. It is our responsibility as, as young artists, as young creatives to, come together and, and, and imagine what can the theater be? What can the art sphere be? What, what do we need more of? And, and you're exactly right. And I think this is the biggest thing is how do we make something like theater more accessible? Because that is fundamentally what I personally believe is holding theater back is that it is not made accessible for, for a myriad of different people. It, it's super expensive. You know, you can't get recordings of most theater. It, it's limited in, in the kind of stories that are being told and how they are being told. And, and I think if we want the theater to survive, you know, you're exactly right. We have to make the kind of theater we want to see and the kind of communities and facilities and support structures that need to be implemented in order for that vision to come to fruition. Um, so I, yeah, I, I resonate with everything you've said. And I think that is so important. And I, I hope and, and I trust that as we move into the sort of next era post COVID, as things start to open up again, that these conversations are going to be had sort of higher up and that there are going to be those, those shifts in perspective of that we have a responsibility to make a change in the way theater operates. And also we have the agency as young independent artists to make our own work that showcases that and to bring people together to create that. Um, and I think that's, that's really, really important. So shifting now, it's a couple of rapid fire questions, something I'm bringing onto the podcast, just to sort of get a little bit of idea of how you see the world and, and, and your thoughts and everything before we wrap up. I was wondering if you could just give us a brief idea of what happiness means to you. Happiness is, happiness is something that is beautiful. I think it is either um, seeing something beautiful or experiencing something beautiful or a, a beautiful connection, but it is to be in a moment and to be 
overwhelmed by the beauty of something. Um, I find so much of my happiness in experiences with my friends where it's just like, I am so overwhelmed by the beauty of that moment. And there's nothing to feel but joy. Um, And it's been so hard because the monotony of quarantine, um, there've been so few opportunities for fun and for joy. Um, And so I think happiness in quarantine has been different, but regardless, I think it's, it's experiencing something beautiful. And what does love mean to you? Love is, I see you and I hear you and I want you here. And an appreciation for everything that someone brings to the table and actively showing care and respect and happiness to be with that person. And last but not least, what does home mean to you? It is tough because for a long time, my answer would be the house I grew up in in Portland with my family. Um, But they just sold my childhood house and my parents are being divorced and I have no intention of going back to Portland anytime soon. And I have a lot of memories there that I love, but also an extreme amount of pain associated with it. And so it's not there anymore. And it's not, I don't think it's a physical place. I don't think it can be because I live in transit too much. Like it's not the Claremont colleges because we're not there and we're not going to be back until who knows when. I think it's just with people who I'm going to say feel like home and then elaborate on that because it was people who feel like home. It's with people who provide safety and love and warmth and protection. And I think feel like a place where you can be a hundred percent yourself. Um, and it's so hard and scary to make a home in other people, especially if they don't want to make one in you. But I think it's also the most just extreme form of love that there can be. Um, And I don't think I regret putting, making my home in other people at all. Um, Because I know that anywhere in the world I go, I have home because I will have someone who's there to love me, whether it's through Zoom or in person in a place. And I was so nostalgic for my childhood and my memories and everything that was in that very physical place with some very physical things. And it's totally gone away now. And it really is just people. Yeah, that's, it's beautiful. And it's, it's a beautiful summation of, of this whole conversation is that fundamentally everything I'm down to down to people, like the people we surround ourselves with, the people that we expose ourselves to, the people we're willing to see and to hear and to learn from. And uh, then beyond that, like our relationship with ourselves and like who we are as a person and how we fit into this broader existence of, of life and the universe and, and community and all of those things. Um, but I want to end with just saying you are one of those people for me. I'm so incredibly grateful to know you and to call you a dear friend. And I'm always here 
cheering for you um, across across the ocean. And I look forward to when we can meet again in person. Um, but thank you for chatting me with me today. Um, thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope you got some value from it. And um, we will see everyone next week. First of all, congratulations. You just listened all the way through our podcast and we couldn't be more thrilled to have you as part of the Story Network community. If you enjoyed the conversation, it would mean the world to us if you could like, share, review and subscribe to let us know that you're listening. We are on a mission to build the largest and most diverse community of storytellers, creators and innovators from around the world and we can't do that without your help. You can check us out on Instagram at The Real Story Network and over on YouTube and Facebook at The Story Network. My name is Zed Hopkins. You're amazing. And we are The Story Network. Woo! The Story Network. <laughs>